<laughs> and we're live. Welcome everyone to episode 146 of The Glow. So glad to be with you in Asheville, North Carolina. My name is Brian Pierre Grossi, author of The Big Glow and The Wow and The Now, life coach, retreat facilitator, vlogger, blogger, podcaster. These are things that didn't even exist like 10 years ago or so, probably. You're a modern human. <laughs> I'm a modern human. <laughs> and this is Aaron. You know what? I don't really say your last name. Uh, I say it Merritt. That's what I say. Okay. If we were Aaron friends, Merritt. say Marais. I know. I was thinking I was thinking last name. Like, maybe it's a French name. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, it's French Aaron Marais. Mm -hmm. Like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Aaron's with us. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Yep. Hello. And we're here together, obviously. So that's fun. That's kind of a new thing. And Annie's behind the camera. You can say, like, hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. She's a little shy, but... <laughs> You might hear her voice sometimes, mm -hmm. and she'll be checking out like who's coming on and Buffy. So when you're entering, this is one of the right times where I won't be able to see the comments, yeah, but please. Annie will be monitoring the comments. Liz Cox is here. Hi, Liz Cox. Jane. Oh, Liz. Hi, Jane. And uh, you can share where you're from. I always like that. I always enjoy that. There's like a heart button you can you can hit when you're really enjoying something. There's a wow button when something's like really wow. I think there's even like isn't there like a sad button? There's a sad button. Yeah, yeah. if you say something that really like. Is a tearjerker, which probably mm -hmm. won't happen, but could. You know, there's all kinds of options to express yourself. Got um, Brooks. Yeah. Danielle Herring. Yeah. We embrace, like, um, all the aspects. We embrace all the aspects of oneself here. Loving, loving what is. Which brings me to your morning. So you had a little bit of a challenging morning, mm -hmm. right? Particularly so. so. Yeah. So it's just interesting, like, like, it feels like I was filling into this talking to you briefly on the phone. It's like the sense of like, we have an idea of the way the morning's supposed to go, right? And it's not going that way. And then we're kind of like pushing against that because, and it kind of creates this resistance and it amplifies. I mean, I, I can relate to that. I don't know if that's, does that relate to like what you were experiencing or is it? I mean, I just, uh. I think I was taking life very seriously, <laughs> yeah. which I tend to do in my professional life Yeah. Um, as a design build contractor yeah. when I'm responsible for budgets and timelines yeah. and yeah. crews and yeah. material, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, I like to be impeccable Yeah. and sometimes things are in my control and I still, I feel like it's my fault and I start believing my thoughts, it's a lot of stressful thoughts and, um, yeah, today today gave me a lot of practice with that. Mm. This morning gave me yeah. a lot of practice with that. So yeah. yeah, one of the things I was noticing is that I don't um I sometimes don't metabolize stress very well when I'm in that space. Like I can I can flip. It's interesting. Like culturally when I'm like with you, mm. or if I'm in spaces where like that's really supported, like that's the sort of like ex you know, yeah. the, the um uh, that's what's going on. Yeah. I can really meet that. Yeah. But in but in sort of the professional life where I'm got my work hat on mm -hmm. sometimes it's harder for me to metabolize stress and it was just like but it was also really noticeable like there were so many things stacked up that didn't go well today it was yeah. just like huh what's going on there so I'm really I, at some level I can see that I'm wanting to practice more with that wanting to like mm -hmm. become more aware of this dynamic and maybe find more balance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it feels like that's such an important why community is so valuable you know, to have people that can support you, people that can be there for you, people that can listen, people that know you well enough to lend some perspective. I mean, to put it in really simple terms, people that love you, right? So, like, that's something that you and I have talked a lot about is the value of community and projects that we're working on creating together, um, bringing community to a culture that's really, for, for, to such a large degree, lost community. You know, we're so focused on individuality which certainly has its place, but to the extent that um, I think one of the greatest diseases that people suffer from, I think the number one disease people suffer from in this country, which creates other diseases, is loneliness. You know, people are incredibly lonely. Um, so what do you find as far as the value of, of communities? That's, that's like a, a valuable thing that's where we want to go, you know, culturally, globally. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I actually was thinking about you 
this morning and I was thinking about the um, um, that that little piece you shared yeah. that from your from your yeah. brother, wasn't yeah. it? And like, what are the key elements that actually mm-hmm. create real community? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the element of um, kind of shared risk or shared responsibility, yeah. or shared struggle. Yeah. And um, yeah, because I was feeling alone this morning, and mm-hmm. sort of like the, you know, what I was holding and what I was both emotionally, but also just the, the sort of um, tangible mm-hmm. material aspects. And um, yeah, I've personally been really desiring more teamwork, more like sort of sharing responsibility, Mm -hmm. sharing risk, sharing, Mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. Um, And I think there's something very powerful there when people are like, um, you know, sort of struggling together Mm -hmm. for something, but but in a kind of life-affirming way, you know, trying, you know, striving, I guess. There's something very powerful. And that's something that I've experienced a lot of times in my life in a really satisfying way. And there's a big arena in my life where I would love more of that. And I feel like that's something I'm really excited to, continue to explore how to create more of. Yeah, I think it's, there's something really sweet about kind of just hanging out um, with people that you that you enjoy, that you appreciate, that you love. And there's this kind of extra element where you bring in a shared purpose mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we you and I talked about recently that, and if the purpose is, is challenging, it actually can be even more the, the, of a higher fulfillment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or it can like tear the group apart. So there's a little bit of a higher risk factor, but there's something with fulfilling of like, you know, we have a purpose and it's a big purpose and it feels like it's for the benefit of something greater than ourselves. And through this shared sense of purpose and the challenges that we face, we're learning and growing and evolving together. Like that feels like that's like, you know, that's what it's all about. When you can have all those components, you know, together in one. Yeah. I have a little anecdote to share. Yeah, please. It's a really memorable, um, really tangible experience of, mm-hmm. of the power of kind of striving together. Yeah. So in 2004, I was living in San Francisco, and um, I was involved in a group of folks who came together to start a community warehouse space. Mm-hmm. It was also like an event space. It was like an anarchist um, scene. And we got this warehouse. We rented this commercial space in um, the Mission District of San Francisco, and it was completely raw. Like, in fact, it was under construction when we moved into it. Like it was a construction zone. And so we all camped out in this construction zone together. And then over the course of, it's like six months or so, um, while we're all like sleeping in the same room and sleeping bags on the floor, we built out, you know, we built the walls, we built the, you know, we put the sheetrock, put in doors, we built out the rooms that we were all going to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this sense of, I mean, it was so palpable and tangible, the sense of like, it was just, it was super joyful. The experience of being in that, it was a kind of a challenging, materially challenging situation, yeah. but everybody, the vibe was super high and everyone felt really on purpose. And, um, and then it was really distinct. Like after it was all done, the construction was mm-hmm. done, we all moved into our rooms. And then all of a sudden, like the, something like was gone. Like we had this like shared struggle. And then as soon as we got to the easy part, we we're all like, you know, sleeping in mattresses in our own rooms. Um, I mean, we, you know, we, it was relaxing to have that ease, but it was also like, wait, where'd the, where'd that thing go that we were doing together? Where'd that mm-hmm. struggle go? Where'd that striving go? Yeah. Um, and we kind of commented on it. We were like, you know, yeah. we were kind of processing that real time. Yeah. It was just like, wow, there's something really powerful and life serving when yeah. we're in a struggle together. Yeah. Yeah. And I really remember that. It really like teaches me a lot to think about. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's, that's, it's really good to like keep that, um, broader view in mind. Like, I, I remember you reminded me of the story of Sylvester Stallone, and he he was just this guy with his dream of making this movie, Rocky. Wrote the script himself, you know, directed it himself, started it himself. And um, he was talking about how, like, when he was really struggling to make this movie, and was, people were turning him down, and he was, you know, he's, he's, he's making this little bits of progress, and this is happening, but then there's a setback. He's like, that was the best time of my life. Actually, when I look back, you know, there was something about, because he had, he had something that he knew, all those elements were there. He had something he knew was going to make a difference for people, make a positive difference. And he felt this real sense of like, this calling in his heart to like, mm-hmm. get it out, yeah. you know? And he didn't have much money. He's like sleeping on, you know, sleeping in rough spaces. And, but there was this great joy in, in, in this progress of, of bringing this project that he really believed in into being. 
you know, so I think that, that just, you know, it's something that we've all heard before, but just remembering that it's the journey, you know, the journey and enjoying the journey. It's not like, oh, when we get to this destination, then that's when the good thing happens. You know, right. The good thing is now, you yeah. know, the good thing is in the struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the purpose specifically, I feel like, I do feel like people are really lonely um, in our world today. And I also think people are really deeply, you know, hungry for more purpose, for more of a sense totally. of that they're doing totally. something that's contributing to yeah. something larger than themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think that in this modern, you know, culture and civilization, there is so much ease and comfort, uh, you know, through modern amenities and stuff. Yeah. And we've been striving for that. We've been building for that for thousands of years to yeah. have this moment of like, wow, we've got so much, you know, of our needs met. And there's some interesting sort of like other side of that coin, which is like people are so comfortable that I think it's, I think people tend to think that they want to be comfortable, mm-hmm. but I think there's something deeper that people don't necessarily even, aren't even necessarily aware of that. Like when people, when I, when I feel most alive and I think when I've seen other people feel most alive, like they're fulfilling something that's contributing to something greater than themselves and greater mm-hmm. than just being comfortable. And I think that's really a common experience right now. Yeah. You bring two things into my consciousness. One is for so much of us in America, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of sad. I've been, I've been, um, for whatever reason, I've been watching a more TV lately. Not much, but a little bit. More than zero, which I was before. <laughs> so, so I see commercials, you know? And these commercials are like, you know, use this toothpaste and, you know, this. it's like the goal is get this shampoo, get this, all these. So it's like this consumer energy. And like there's something in us who just knows that that's not the end all be all. But in America, it's like more and more, it's just, it's about like your purpose is to consume things, to get these products, you know? And if you consume these and get these products, then you're living the American dream. You're living the life that's the happiest life. But something in us like just knows that that's not true. Mm-hmm. And there's something much deeper, this shared sense of purpose, um, that is why we're here. And tuning into that, tapping into that, and and, and then the yeah, the comfortability thing. Yeah, comfortability and happiness and fulfillment—they're different things. And just to differentiate that. Comfortable is almost like there's a point where it can almost become a sense of like a deadening quality, you know, where um, a certain level of uncomfortability, particularly psychologically, emotionally, like being a bit out of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. right? That's where you're expanding. That's where you're growing. That's where you're evolving. And that's what we're here for, you know? So that's where we feel the most alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So your journey, how did you... Do you were you always contemplating life in a deeper way, or was there was there was there was that something that was from birth that you feel like you were always thinking at a young age, or was there a point where you sort of deepened? You know, I think um, what I notice about when I reflect on my lifetime is that I've always just been really curious naturally. Yeah, I've always so I've always just wondered about things, and certainly that goes as far back as I can remember in childhood. Mm-hmm. And then as I began learning about the world. I had this really strong drive to, um, like I wanted to connect what I already knew to the next larger container, what I call schema, you know, it's called schema and, you know, pedagogical, you know, when, when you're teaching people something, it's like, what are they, with that new information, what, what structure does it hang on? You know, what's, what, what is, what's the context within which it fits? And so I was always striving for like a larger and larger schema. Like, what, okay, what's that? Okay. What's that connect to? Like, and how does that connect? Um, kind of on all fronts in terms of like, you know, all the different inquiries that I've been involved in. So you, you're seeing how things connect to other things. What, what would you say was like the catalyst for your, like the spiritual element, the sense of how, how would you define spiritual actually? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, for me, it's, I, I really see that my kind of like spirituality and my focus on spiritual principles mm-hmm. and spiritual ideas, mm-hmm. metaphysics, evolved out of um, kind of my own personal awakening process um, that that was born from like just learning about my emotions. Mm-hmm. So spirituality for me was like just a natural outgrowth of just becoming aware of like, oh, I'm an emotional being mm-hmm. and I have all this inner landscape and there's these energies that move in me mm-hmm. and I didn't have the kind of upbringing where I had a lot of support in knowing what those were and how to give language to them and how to really um, feel secure and feel like like I knew myself and I knew it was moving in me. And so um, when I 
um, left home and went to college and was off my own, um, I had the opportunity to meet a few really key people who were, you know, became really dear friends and really close who helped me in that process and helped me become aware of my emotions. And so then I would like, you know, I would read books and I would just sort of follow the thread of what, um, how do I know more about myself? How do I know more about my emotionality? How do I, how do I heal a lot of the trauma and woundedness that I was holding from earlier in my life? And that process of trying to become emotion, you know, aware of my emotions slowly led into like ideas about spirituality and ideas about, you know, these invisible dimensions of self mm-hmm. that aren't the body and, and aren't even the emotions. There's, you know, what are we made of? Where do we come from? Some of these deeper questions. Mm-hmm. All that kind of was born out of, um, yeah, kind of an emotional quest. Yeah. And that kind of brings us back to what we were talking about before, where I find like for most people, myself included, it's difficult difficulty or, or challenge or being uncomfortable that makes us look deeper yeah. into ourselves That's who right. we really are and what life really is so I think it's really important to like again when you're in that space to for people to recognize that there's an opportunity to grow and to evolve and it's and, and that there's there's a benefit there ultimately even if it's difficult in the moment that there's a benefit in going deeper into ourselves and so you started you started exploring different where'd you go to college? I did undergrad at Maryland, University uh-huh. of Maryland, College Park, uh-huh. School of Art. The Terrapins. Mm-hmm. That's right. You got it. Mm-hmm. And, the then just, and then I went to grad school um, out in California, the Bay Area, San Francisco at UC Berkeley. And that ver- that choice to move to the Bay Area was very much um, driven by this magnetism of like culture. I could feel that the yeah. culture there yeah. was all these people who were looking into these ideas yeah. that I was just kind of getting yeah. started on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thing. Thing about interesting your take on this. Um, I had a similar journey. I left. I left college. Um, went to Penn State University. So we're both from the East Coast, mm-hmm. and I went to Northern California. Um, a little different route, but I ended up as much as I could. Not maybe as much as I could, but spending a lot of time in, in Berkeley, mm-hmm. in Bay Area. Um, and that exp- that was like such an important chapter in my life. Like it just blew me open. Like yeah. I, it's like oh my god, like. Really? Yes. This, this is a real thing out here. Telegraph Avenue, you know, walking on the they used to have, they have that market thing. It's like a Saturday or Sunday, um, and just the diversity of characters and just the uniqueness of the ability to express yourself in a unique way um, was really liberating for me. Um, and then there was a kind of a point where it was sort of like stopped. It was like you could express yourself uniquely in individuality. And people were people were moving from all different places, and they were going to all different places. So it was kind of a transient environment, it felt like. And so when it came for this longing for community, it felt like it really wasn't happy. It was more based on like individuality there, and that's what eventually brought me to Asheville. Mm-hmm. Is that Asheville felt like a place that valued community. Um, so did you find did you find a similar? It sounds like you had some some interesting projects. That yeah, happening there. For yeah, you. we definitely. But what brought you to Asheville? Well, it was. It, I would say there's a similarity mm-hmm. between our journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the practi- There was a practical matter that um, I knew that I wanted to be involved in, kind of moving on from the urban warehouse community project. Mm-hmm. I knew I was. I was feeling called for more of a land based, mm-hmm. earth based project um, of community and land prices in San Francisco, right? Bay that's, area. That's a little crazy. Bit, yeah. And so for me personally, it was kind of pragmatic, but for my partner, um, BJ, she, I think she would have more of the analysis that kind of keys into what you're saying, which is like, it was just, there's very, there's very shallow roots Mm -hmm. because people are coming and going a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she was from Mississippi and, you know, you know, where you're from, who your family is, the roots in Mississippi are just super, super deep. And that level of connectivity and um, the pace was something I think that was just not you know, she was ready for something yeah. a, little, a little slower and a little more bruisey. Yeah. And so Asheville, I mean, it's just, it has that. It has a little bit of both because I think what is shared about my experience of being in the Bay Area and being in Asheville, like they both share this sort of evolutionary quality. Like yeah. culturally, yeah. there's this support for, you know, forward thinking, for yeah. artistic, you know, expression, yeah. for, you yeah. know, exploring the edges mm-hmm. of human, you know, potential yeah. and possibility. Yeah. Um, but here in Asheville, you know, because of the place and because of the culture you know, the Appalachian culture, there's just more roots yeah. and it's, you know, it's kind of couched in a different context, which mm-hmm. makes it really, really, really interesting and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so when you started delving in more spiritually, what were some of the things that inspired you? Some some books or some teachers or yeah. teachings? Well, you know, um, in looking back, it just seems so obvious, but this notion of reincarnation was key mm-hmm. for me um, in awakening to the mystery, mm-hmm. we'll call it, or something that's, you know, that you can't, you can't scientifically prove. Um, but I was reading some books about, um, there were some therapists um, who were kind of like stumbling their way into like past life regressions and stuff and like realizing that like there's a such thing as a past life and realizing that like, you know, the souls come into incarnations time and time again, this whole idea of reincarnation. And it was really like, um, it just really struck a chord in me mm-hmm. and it really kind of woke up a whole, it almost like pushed a button to open up a whole new avenue of inquiry around mm-hmm. spirituality. So that was like the first thing was this idea of reincarnation. And then um, a few years later reading, um, I think it was reading Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and just this whole concept that I'm not my thoughts mm-hmm. and like just this, the, the, the capacity to conceive of that I can separate like my essence and who I am and what, what I am from like the content that runs mm-hmm. all the time. And that like awareness of that possibility was, was very significant for me. I had an interesting journey with that book. Um, I got that book, bought it, because I heard a lot of good things about it, and I started reading it. It just wasn't, it was just kind of boring. I wasn't that into it, you know? So I was like, you yeah, know, I was just not really feeling it. Some other books seemed more interesting. I was an avid reader at the time, too. Other books seemed more inspiring or interesting or exciting. Um, and then I, um, so I put it on the shelf, and it just sat there for years, you know, probably three years, four years. And then <clears throat> there was a moment where I was going through um, a real challenge in um, the relationship realm, going through a difficulty relationship realm and kind of just asking questions. And um, and I would, I would walk by the shelf. And it was almost like there was like a light just shining on that book. Books <laughs> are like dark. Read me. I don't know if anybody can relate to this kind of experience, but I've had this like a few times with different things. It's like just yeah, this is like the, just light shining on this book. So you know, I walked by four or five times over the span of like you know several some days, and it's like okay, let me uh, let me pull this book down and take a look at it. So I I open it. I take the book. I open it up, and in big letters I see enlightened relationships. Mm-hmm. That was the chapter of the book that I opened to. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I'm trying to understand and work out. So I read it. So I read the, I read start reading, and like every sentence is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, it's so fascinating. Where before it's the same book, but it didn't have resonance for me, and now the same book is like exactly what I'm, what I'm, what I'm needing, what I'm wanting. So I read that chapter. I read it to the end of the book, and I start at the beginning, and I read the whole book again. And I read the whole book again. I read it four or five times mm-hmm. in a row, just mm-hmm. nonstop. Wow. And it was like such a huge opening. It was, well, I would say it was like, I sort of, like, but he even says this in the beginning. He's like, I can't tell you, I don't already know. Right? Yeah. So it was like this confirmation. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. For, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But somehow that confirmation is really important for us to kind of affirm what is the truth inside ourselves. So, yeah, that was a huge opening for me, too. And I know a lot of other people that are, that are tuning in, too. To us here, and and then you two other things I know that there could be other things I'm sure as well, but two things that I know that were inspired for you. Um, one is you teach a weekly, or you you would say teach. How would you say it? I facilitate, facilitate study group. A, a weekly study group on the law of one. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how that inspired you. Yeah. Well. Um, okay. So so just fit. How does yeah. that fit? Okay. Now I get. I have a sense of this, and how does that fit? And I was always kind of like, <clears throat> that just continued. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I found the law of one, which is basically like, it, you know, it's, it's primarily about soul evolution mm-hmm. and cosmic plan. Yeah. So at this high level, like how does creation, yeah. you know, what's, what's the pattern, what's the yeah. fundamental pattern of that? Yeah. And it gave me, it kind of gave me this sort of like final, like, whoa. And I just like that quest to find the broader schema, mm-hmm. like relaxed because like everything I had ever learned about all felt relevant it all fit but it all finally like sort of had um a container large enough to all make sense and all come mm-hmm. together so there's a synthesis that happened um when i read that um the series of books it's five books 
So um, from that level of like my curiosity about the universe, mm -hmm. curiosity about spirituality, spirituality and all that stuff, that all found a lot of satisfaction in reading mm -hmm. that book. And then just resonance, just the sort of straight up like, whoa, this feels really important. This feels true. Like I'd be reading the books and I would just like in my mind as I'm reading, I would just like have these, I call them tendrils. I'd have these sort of visions of the future of like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be teaching this. Or I'm going to be helping people, mm -hmm. you know, find this. I'm going to be translating this. I'm going to be, mm -hmm. um, it felt, it felt really important. It felt like a part of my soul's mission mm -hmm. was to, um, help people who were on a similar, you know, kind of spiritual journey or a quest to understand, you know, sort of seekers of truth, mm -hmm. um, to find this resource, which I find to be one of the most valuable resources that I know of. And in the love one, they talk about different dimensions, right? Well, they're called densities. Densities. Yep. In the law of one, just to sort of distinguish between dimensions, because dimensions have a lot of different uses, mm -hmm. and there's some ambiguity about mm -hmm. that. And densities has a very sort of scientific specific mm -hmm. terminology, so there's a reason why why densities. But yes, there's these densities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you take us to the densities quickly, like what they are? Let's just jump right in to the densities. Jump right in. First density, second seven, yeah, seven densities. Yeah. So um, yeah, so the the creation is. Um, essentially it can be described as an octave mm -hmm. of light. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to con conceptualize this. You just think about how the white light from the sun mm -hmm. goes through a prism and splits into the rainbow and you can mm -hmm. see those colors. Mm -hmm. So that, that similar sort of nesting of um, these densities, which essentially are, um, they're kind of phases of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so what's going on at a high level, what's going on is there's, there's this one infinite being, we call it God, um, in the raw in the raw material, the law of one, it's called the one infinite creator. Um, it's this unmanifest infinite being with infinite power and infinite capacity, and it manifests the universe. Um, and the prime unit of manifestation are galaxies. And so each galaxy basically is um, a being called a logos. And a logos kind of has its own sense of self at a very high level. And it explores themes in that galactic experience from birthing the galaxy all the way through the evolution of the galaxy and the suns in that galaxy and the planets in that galaxy all the way until it, until it resolves um, into a black hole or you know, how, whatever happens at the galactic level. And so that whole process, the galactic journey, uh, takes place in these sort of seven stages of consciousness. Um, and each stage is sort of like um, an opportunity, a sort of field of potential for consciousness, the sort of raw material of consciousness, awareness, to explore different aspects of creation. Um, and so, for example, Earth at this point is transitioning from the third density to the fourth density. Um, and each of these two eras in um, each of these two densities have like dramatically different um, purposes mm -hmm. in terms of the evolution of souls and the evolution of, of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So let's focus on the, since we're transitioning from the third to the fourth, Let's focus on that. What's the third density like and what's the fourth density like? I'll even throw a second question in, which is a big one. What's the third? What's the fourth? And how do we get from the third to the fourth? Yeah. Well, I'll quickly cover one and two, mm -hmm. just to sort of get us sure. where we are now. So one is um, sort of the elements. It's sort of, you know, sort of material, you know, the, literally the chemical elements mm -hmm. um, until, until biological, what we know of biological life can form. So... Early biological life is early second density. So second density is like, you know, plants and animals, biological life. Mm -hmm. Before self-awareness, before there's a sort of I, there's mm -hmm. a sort of individualized sense of self. Mm -hmm. so, so early, you know, sense of I, that's early third density. Mm -hmm. And so the whole journey through third density basically is that each unit of consciousness, each person, mm -hmm. um, is clarifying their metaphysical polarity. Mm -hmm. What that means is like positive path, negative path. Mm -hmm. It's basically good and evil. It's what we tend to think of as good and evil. Um, and what's interesting about the Law of One, what's unique about the Law of One, is that it offers this um, framework for understanding good and evil. Like, how is it that the universe is purposeful and essentially good and benevolent, and yet there's what we see as good and bad, or, or good and evil expressing in the world? Well, they're both, they're both purposeful in, in so much as they're required to, um, they kind of create this engine of, novelty and awareness. It's mm -hmm. like when, a, you know, when somebody who's interested in the positive path and somebody's interested in the negative path meet, there's tension. Mm -hmm. And that tension is a kind of a creative tension in it. And it, I mean, it creates so much of what we see on planet earth right mm -hmm. now in terms yeah. of the, um, 
diversity of experience that humans are having. Yeah. And so the whole third density is about clarifying lifetime after lifetime. We come in and we have all these experiences and we clarify, are we more interested at the core level? Are we more interested in serving others mm -hmm. and serving unity and serving love and like finding out how we're all one thing? Mm -hmm. Are we more interested in control and power over and sort of this individualized sense of self and, um, you know, service, serving the self, service mm -hmm. to self. And once, you know, once an individual, once a person gains enough clarity, what polarizes sufficiently, then they're able to graduate uh, from third to fourth density and have an experience of clarifying that choice throughout third or fourth, fifth, uh, and sometimes into, into mid sixth density. So really giving your, like, purifying your attention, clarifying your attention toward unity, essentially realization of unity, unity. What do I call it? What do I call it? Unified field. The unified resonant field. Yeah. It's, obviously, there's all kinds of different words for yep. it, but the sense of, I guess, the way there's kind of a, th a through line of all spiritual teachings that I'm aware of, um, of a realization of oneness. Right. Realization of I thought it was a separate thing, and now there's this realization that I'm not a separate thing, that I'm a part of everything, or yep. that I am everything. And, and then there's a movement to realize that in the world of form. Right, so it feels like that's moving from the third density to the fourth. Well, in some ways, I mean, that really so unity consciousness really gets established in sixth density in terms of, in, you know, in terms of the sort of the, the fundamental quality of the density. Yeah, unity consciousness becomes fully just fully apparent and mm -hmm. fully established for for all the beings in that yeah. density in sixth density. Mm -hmm. So we're striving towards that. Yeah, but fourth density is about lessons of love. Um, and so on the positive path, a fourth density experience, like let's say on a fourth density positive planet, um, the entire planetary civilization would be practicing serving each other, serving love. Um, and on a, on a negative planet, it would be about serving, loving the self mm -hmm. um, to the exclusion of all others. And it's sort of a power struggle. Mm -hmm. um, but it's lessons of love. And then fifth density is the lessons of wisdom, which have to do with sort of the nature of light, the nature of the sort of fundamental nature of the laws of the universe. Mm -hmm. um, and then sixth is balancing those two. Um, and the, ba the perfect balancing of love and wisdom creates, un sort of automatically creates an understanding of oneness, an understanding of yeah. unity. Yeah. And seven is like, and seven is, seven basically is turning, um, from having our eyes out into the manifest creation. Uh -huh. Seven, at seven, it's like turning back towards the creator uh -huh. and becoming forever, becoming infinity, yeah. becoming the creator once again, yeah. and, and sort of releasing any vestiges of individualized yeah. sense of self. Yeah. And you've also been, you and BJ both have also been inspired by the work of Byron Katie. Correct. Right? Yeah. So I've always been curious to ask you, how do you, how do those two fit together for your law of one teachings and Byron Katie's work? Yeah. How does that, how do, how do you feel? How does that yep. work for you? Well, so, okay. So just kind of like getting us back to our current, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. place in time. So mm -hmm. each one of us, you know, in our lifetime, mm -hmm. we um, have the opportunity to, um, to become more true to who we are. Mm -hmm. We can um, kind of, you can kind of imagine it as like, um, I guess the way that the law of one would say it is, is um, resolving distortions. Mm -hmm. So distortions are anything, any beliefs that we're holding that, um, that aren't consummate with the truth yeah. of the universe, um, of unity, and you know, so the law of one. And so um, through the course of life experience, anything, anytime we're, we, you know, we have a felt sense of suffering or struggling or like, you know, we're having stressful negative emotions, it's kind of like an alarm clock. It's kind of like, hey, that's distortion. There's yeah. something that's not true yeah. that's being held in your consciousness, mm -hmm. being held in your belief system. Mm -hmm. And so the work of Byron Katie essentially is this incredibly simple, incredibly approachable um, and accessible system to just when you notice that there's something, when your alarm clock's going off and you're having some, you're having some ex this experience of suffering, you can do something with that. Mm -hmm. You take you 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 go into inquiry. You find out what's this what's what's what thoughts are active for me right now? What am I believing? And then you just bring that, that belief through a process and you basically you're meeting it with a, a deeper level of compassion, a deeper level of awareness to see if it's true for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we sort of shed um, uh, distortion. And that's how we become more true to ourselves. It's how, that's how the light that moves through us, mm -hmm. um, that is the creator, uh, becomes more bright when we like remove these pieces that are false and we remove these distortions, we remove these false beliefs from our, from our mm -hmm. consciousness, mm -hmm. we become more of who we are. And the work of Byron Katie is just this really 
um, amazing tool because it's so simple, because it's so clear, because it's so, um, uh, yeah, accessible. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that about it. One of the things that's really fascinating for me about time is how to have simultaneous awareness of linear time and no time or the timeless. So there's a sense of progression of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, January, February, March, right? The years. Yeah. And we're evolving through that time um, or devolving through that time. And then there's this, there's this um, timeless, formless essence that's, I don't necessarily like to use the word perfect because you can bring up different ideas of opposition to imperfect, but something that is, that is of absolute love now. So I find this is an amazing paradox of like, we're moving through time to bring more love into the world of form. And, and at the same time, there is this place where there's absolute love always right now. And like, it's like dancing in the two of those things without, it's like, they're both, they're both, they're both, I guess, beautiful, you know? Yeah. Does that resonate? Yeah. For you? Well, not just beautiful, but also purposeful. Yeah. Like, um, did you watch Lucy? Lucy. Yeah. A long time ago. Well, there's a, there's a really wonderful, um, kind of metaphor of time and like Uh she sort of explains, she gets time at the end. She explains it. It's like, so, so if if what's true is infinite Mm -hmm. and, um, and everything is contained within it. Yeah. And it's all there. It's all now. And it's all now. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, and again, this is like deep metaphysical waters, but that's like, if it's all now, how could it be experienced? Like time gives us the ability to stretch it out. Yeah. Stretch the infinity yeah. out so yeah. we can zoom in on these, yeah. on these particular experiences, yeah. these particular qualities. Yeah. And it allows the creator to, to enjoy itself yeah. with more fullness. And yeah. that's the purposefulness of time. It's a purposefulness of space. It's the mm-hmm. purposefulness of the illusion. Yeah. Um, or what's called the illusion. I don't really like calling it illusion because it's sort of like, has a negative it's, yeah, it's kind of derogatory yeah. to it. It's, it's amazing. But yeah. you know, the mystics call it the, it's illusory. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. the creation that we're in is illusory. It's not what we think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Filmmaking is really fascinating. How are we doing with time? Okay, good. We have one more time. Anyone, anyone say anything, any interesting comments or questions? Um, Feel free to share. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, filmmaking is really, is really interesting because filmmaking is actually creating the illusion of time. You know, it's really fascinating because like, and I, and I've, when I was in college, I did some stuff with film and we're kind of getting inspired to get back into it again a little bit more, but it's like, okay, we're going to shoot this now, but this will go in the beginning here. We'll edit this in and put that in. We'll shoot that next week, but that'll come out. You know, and it's like, you're creating the illusion of time, you know, consciously. And I think the more that we wake up, the more we're going to be able to consciously play with time. Like, I think we've been, for the most part as human beings, we've been feeling like we're like a slave to time. You know, this is this thing that's like, you know, we don't have any, um, what's the word, empowerment mm-hmm. with, you know? Well, we have control over it. Time yeah. marches on. And right. We, don't, we can't right. put reverse. Yeah. It's, doing, it's doing things to us. But I think that as we wake up to recognize the essence of ourselves, which transcends time, then we can start to play with time and have fun with time and move time around and play. Like, I think that as we evolve in our consciousness, you know, there's stories of, um, now the word avatar is a different meaning, but avatar meaning someone that comes into a, is there maybe a different word for this in law of one, or maybe it's a, but these, these beings that will come into a certain time space reality and fulfill a certain mission and pop out and pop in another one. And right. Mm-hmm. So I think that as we, as we, as we wake up to the illusion of time, we can actually play with time more freely and kind of jump in and out of different timelines and become different characters. And, you know, this is already, and this is where I'm fascinated by things like virtual reality. All these things are like, there's these, these kind of inroads that are pushing at all the same truth of like time being a construction of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts. <laughs> That's a lot I know, but just a play of time. like. Do you, are you, do you, do you, are you seeing the sense of like, as we awaken, as we move in the densities, the, the ability to move through time, um, and have more empowerment with time? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's. I mean, and I can only speak from what I've studied. I don't have any. I don't really have a whole lot of direct um, experience with you know transcending time. Yeah. Like, no, but you know what's interesting though is studying something, and if you study something and it rings true for you, that's that was an interesting question I used to have earlier. I was like, how do I know this is true? Mm-hmm. There's no real way to know because everyone's telling you something. How do I know what they're saying is true? Right? Yeah. There must be something in me that recognizes truth. Yeah, you know, when I'm in some kind of a clear place inside myself. Well, we've come to call that resonance, right? Like, yeah. There's this way that we've we're kind of using. You know, the term gets used more and more. Yeah. But it's uh, the, you know the simple idea is that when you when you you know pluck a string on a stringed mm-hmm. instrument, if there's a um, you know if there's a harmonic, if there's yeah. a, if there's another string mm-hmm. that is uh, tuned harmonically to that one that you just plucked, it'll start humming too. That's resonance, and you know there's sort of a metaphor and analog that's within us. It's like if something there's an idea or a thought form that feels true, you know, that resonates for us, you know, it's, we're connected to it. There's some part of us that's, that's expressing as true. Just like when we have stressful thoughts, mm-hmm. we can inquire and be like, you know, discover maybe that's not yeah. actually our, our deepest truth. Yeah. And there's these other places it's like resonance is sort of the opposite. It's like, right. it's like wow, it's, it's the opposite of the stressful thoughts. It's like, right. it's an exciting thoughts. Like, right. I want to know more about that. I want right. to dig into that one. Right. So when you're moving, when you're reading something about moving to different timelines, there's something in you that resonates as truth. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically, um, that that's one kind of, um, uh, quality mm-hmm. of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I would say that like, it wasn't necessarily that that one idea of being able to like transcend time, like really resonated for me, but in the context of learning about this larger map mm-hmm. that we're like, we're here, you know, and we, we tend to forget, like we get really caught up in, or I do get really caught up in like, this is it. Like we're at the pinnacle of creation. It's like, no, <laughs> we're actually in this like billions right. and billions of year long right. journey. And right. we're in this like tiny little, but it just helps me take it less yeah. seriously. Yeah. And so in that larger context, time is just one element. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that seems, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to, I'm going to, Basically, I end up, I, I don't like believe the law of one is like my new truth. I don't like, I, didn't, I don't try to take it on as my belief system and like, that's my new dogma. Instead, I sort of like play with it as like my working, you know, it's like, it's like this working model mm-hmm. that I can use to test other things against and like mm-hmm. test within myself. And I, I kind of enjoy holding it that way. Yeah. I remember when I was early in my journey and I was with these guys, actually in, um, really into uh, Krishnamurti and I was in Hawaii in a, like an intentional community of Krishnamurti people. It's kind of funny. But um, there's, there's a phrase that the guy said, the guy that was, that, uh, that uh, him and his brother found in the community, and he would say, um, we're babies in this thing. Remember that phrase? He said, we're babies in this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to just keep that perspective when you think of like, you know, we're the human beings, are the highest evolved on the planet, all this, you know, these these... It's like, yeah, we're babies in this thing. We're just at the very, you know, there's so much infinite potential of where we can go. Yeah. Which is exciting. Um, well, it's sweet, yeah. too. It's like we're babies in this thing. Yeah. How do we treat babies? We're just very kind yeah, to them. that's true. We nourish them. It's we, true. like, give everything we can yeah. to help them be well. Yeah. And it's nice to think about giving it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's like when we're babies at it, we don't have to be the ones who know. We don't have to be the ones who have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. We can just, you know, be a little more gentle with ourselves, which I think yeah. is good medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as moving from 3D to 4D, putting the intention toward love, putting the intention toward kindness, compassion, like these are things that I think um, are kind of most people would agree with. But what is, as far as like practical things, like what do you see is like, what are some, how does that express itself practically in like moving from 3D to 4D? I think the most, like the, the core of it, is know yourself, mm-hmm. like know what your truth is, know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it could, there, it's almost like a trap to just be like, okay, well, if you just are good to other people uh-huh. and you just do these things yeah. to sort of express these positive yeah. qualities, then that'll get you where you want to go. Uh-huh. But that's a little bit backwards. Really what it is is like, well, is, is that actually what you want? Find out, like uh-huh. find out who you are, find out what like really brings you alive, find out what, um, is the truest, like highest principle that really moves you and serve that mm-hmm. and then give that to the world as, mm-hmm. as your gift, as your unique, you know, what, what is yeah. your, what is your, um, unique song, your yeah. unique expression. Yeah. I really resonate with that. So what is that for you right now? Oh boy, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> you didn't tell me your answer to that question. <laughs> um, 
Well, I think you, you well, personally... What, what, what makes you feel more alive? What makes make you feel most alive? Like, you know, the things that you just said. Yeah. Inspiring you and feels true, true for yourself. Well, I'm really enjoying... Um, I mean, one of the highlights of my life right now is, this, is the study group. So mm -hmm. once a week, we get together and we study the law of one. And the reason why it's so satisfying is because... I mean, my whole life I've experienced, like, there's more to... I know there's more to it. Like, I just had this hunch. There's more to it than what we just... What the sort of standard, you know, story of our culture and our history. Like I knew there was more to it. And you know, I get to get together with a bunch of people who all have that same sort of sense and we get to explore what else is there to it and what else, you know, what else is going on and what else, sort of the larger picture. Mm -hmm. It's just really, it does something really deep for me. And so one of the things I'm, you know, I'm trying to do and, and um, source is like creating more containers for that, creating more contexts that we can come together and explore the mystery together. And um, kind of like get outside of the mundane aspects of reality and get to engage in some of the more um, philosophical and metaphysical mm -hmm. questions. And mm -hmm. I really enjoy that stuff a lot. There was a line we were at the exact dance on Saturday, and uh, someone said, "Everything is sacred." And then uh, Michael said, "Yes, and everything is mundane." <laughs> You know, emptiness is form and form is emptiness. Mm -hmm. The sacred is mundane. So when you can like really get in that space for like, you know, just walking down the street is sacred. That's when you know you're in a good, you're in a good place. How are we doing, love? Anyone have, say anything? I have a question from Tracy Gregg. Oh, great. Regarding time. Is time a mental construct? Is time a question. mental construct, Aaron? Well, one of the things that I'm finding useful in my inquiries into this, into these questions, these philosophical questions, is this metaphor that really everything is mental. Like we're kind of in the mind of God. Like we, we, we get really convinced that we're in a material reality, but I've had some um, personal experiences into kind of like having the line between what I experience as the material, uh, material reality mm -hmm. things, stuff mm -hmm. that you can touch and knock on, and thoughts, which to me seem like, well, those obviously aren't things, they're not, there's not quite such a distinct line. Like I've, I've had these experiences of like, whoa, like it's reality gets wobbly, you know, in deep metaphysical states yeah. of states of experience, reality gets wobbly. Yeah. And in that it's becomes more clear that actually stuff, materiality and thoughts are a part of a continuum mm -hmm. and all that continuum, we only experience a certain bandwidth of energy. Yeah. Yeah. There's all this much, much greater bandwidth of energy and all that energy really is the mind of God and the, mm -hmm. and the thinking, the process of, of thinking of the one infinite creator. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that point of view, I would say, yes, like time is very much a mental construct, as is everything. Everything mm -hmm. is a mental construct. Mm -hmm. And then I think what happens is as we become more aware of that and as we become more sort of like embodied in that awareness, we're the thinker. And then it gets really exciting. Then that's where like you get like spiritual powers and cities and you get like, and I'm not saying those are exciting for themselves, but uh, there have been these, you know, these great sages and mystics who've come to the world and have come to that realization and have been able to like manifest these, mm -hmm. what we would say, miraculous, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, abilities. But really all that's going on there is that they've kind of like connected with the reality that they are the thinker. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, They've kind of like directly engaged in the mental, you know, mm -hmm. the mental construct. And from that point, I think that's how we get into these states of being able to manipulate time, go moving forward in that yeah. time. Yeah. is becoming one with that mental, yeah. you know, presence that it, that really is more true. It's a, it's kind of a deeper truth. that's a little bit invisible to us at this point. Yeah. I think, um, a couple things stand out for me about that is, one is the just the relative nature of time. You know, how long is five seconds, right? If someone's like, you know, I don't know, stabbing you in the stomach, five seconds is like a really long time, you know? But if you're just, you know, um, waiting in line, five seconds is also a long time. And, but if you're just walking down the street, five so it's like five seconds can be really long, really mm -hmm. short, depending yeah. on the nature of things. So, um, and then I remember hearing about, um, it was like a, a scientist talking about the, the outer space and when you he said when you as the planets move which totally makes sense you can't tell if 
I think the way he said it was, you, you, you don't know if something's... The, the, the idea of something evolving or devolving outer space is actually itself a mental construct, right? He said, all you really see is things moving. Like, you don't really know if... I know what he said. He said, he said you can't tell if time's going forward or backward. That's what he said. Time going forward or backward is a mental construct. All you can really see is just things moving, which actually makes total sense. Like, in our minds, we decide, like, this is the, things are going this direction, so time is going this way, mm-hmm. you know? But if things are going that direction, time will be going, things will be going that way or backwards. Or So it's just really, um, yeah, time is an amazing thing. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up to you, do you know who David Blaney is? Oh, yeah. The other devil, I get in this thing, Annie knows, where I just get like fascinated by somebody. Yeah. I'll be up at two in the morning watching YouTube videos on them. And um, I think this guy is like a modern yogi with like C- CDs, as you tell them, mm-hmm. you know? Like he's he's exploring... Not that that's all he is. I think there's some other components too, but he's really exploring um, the edges of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, I think it's fascinating how people who aren't necessarily considered spiritual, um, when you delve deeper, they totally are, have the same, they're, they're, they're reading the same books, exploring the same things, and expressing it in different ways. Um, Actually, gone, that same, gone through that same rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. Another one is Dynamo. You watch Dynamo? No, he's thank a deeper, you. He's even like, I'll check him out. He's a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I find him actually even more like of a. Anyway, not to, compare, not to compare, but Dynamo is like, what's going on with that guy? Like, yeah. And I've just had these questions of just like, yeah, either this person has like harnessed some spiritual power, there's mm-hmm. some like deeper, uh, deeper, you know, source of mm-hmm. being able to manipulate creation, or the whole thing is just staged. The whole thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're presenting it as, if, as though it's street mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. And they're going out to these strangers in the street and doing yeah. these tricks. So the only way for it not to be that he's tapped in to some mm-hmm. greater power is if the whole thing is just staged. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like one or the other. I don't see any other possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the document I was watching on David Blaine, you know, he actually is showing in some cases like how he's working really hard to do these things for real. You know, some of the different things he's doing that, um, yeah, it's it's... It's like he'll find this thing of like, oh, this is impossible. Well, let me see if it is possible, mm-hmm. right? And I just find that that's inspiring because we can take that to any other part of our lives, and and expand and, and realize that we have infinite potentiality mm-hmm. and infinite possibility. A comment from Robin. She says, "I love being in a group where you don't feel that someone has the answer, where there is just more tossing around and taking what you like." Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Just around an hour here. Yeah, that's the that's a signal. And he's giving for an hour. <laughs> so yeah, anything else you want to share? I, I always really enjoy sharing time and talking with you, and it's beautiful to share it with people. Um, anything else that's alive for you in this moment? It's been enjoyable. It's been a nice conversation. I feel yeah. like it's it's surprising an hour, an hour, right? It's relatively <laughs> time. Relatively <laughs> kind of did, did fly by. Yeah, but yeah, it's been nice. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always enjoy it. Thank you all for being here. Keep the conversation going in the thread. See you in the next now.